Dave Tedesco, I remember the days when he played a lot of trumpet. I do have a long history with this church. I came in the 80s. The story is a little bit different. Um, I had gone to college as an Italian Catholic, and I'm still Italian, by the way. Um, <laughs> and one of my best friends was James Keller Jr. Not senior here, but junior. We went to high school together, same grade, the whole bit. And when I came back, I, I never even knew what church they went to until I got saved. And, and then he said that they came to New Village Church. And so they brought me here. And I needed a lot of help because when you're coming out of the Catholic Church, you need a lot of things filled in. And I tell you what, the Lord used this church in some powerful ways. I remember Bradford Hess. Bradford Hess was a blessing to me. Um, sat me down, told me some things I needed to know. Um, Pastor Gary Finn. He was good at rebuking me. I, said, I used to say a lot of dumb things. He helped me out. John Eglin. How many remember John Eglin? He used to, um, I used to drive with him to the college to pick up uh, students from Stony Brook. And he gave me my first teaching opportunity. So I have fond, fond memories. I went to, a lo- went to the diner a whole bunch with J.R. Riverwood, Liberty Diner. Who remembers those days, right? That was like his kitchen, but... I went evangelizing with Ben Graham, not Billy Graham, but Ben Graham, great guy. I remember being up there in the, in the what, what do you call it up there, the rafters back there, with uh, Chuck Johnson learning Genesis, the book of Genesis. And I was fascinated to learn God's word right here at New Village Church. Uh, I was here in the days when Terry was a blessing. <laughs> See, only, I'm sorry, some of you don't know these people, but how about this one? When Linda Harrigan was a pulse. Alberta Redden and many others of the seniors would have the college students over for dinner. Fond, fond memories. I even sanded floors with Carl Fairdig for a while. And I really dug those floors up, so that job didn't last that long. And then my, one of my biggest blessings is to know your pastor, Mark Musser. And on a serious note, you have a pastor here that's a man of wisdom and wants to do what is right. He's the real deal. I'm telling you, I know him very personally, up close. He is the real deal. Meet with him and another pastor every two or three weeks. And he has been a great blessing to me. It's my privilege to be here this morning. Uh, I want to pray and get into God's word. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to New Village Church. You have been the God of this church for 200 years. And I give you praise that the gospel still trumpets forth. I pray that it would continue to do so like never before. Use these dear people here to be your representatives and to love you, to know you, and to serve you faithfully. And I ask that I could be a blessing this day in some way. In Jesus' name, amen. You ask a lot of men why they're thankful for their wives. And sometimes the blockhead says something like this. She cooks, she cleans, she does errands for me. You know what I mean? She makes good tuna casserole. She meets my needs, and then I feel like taking that guy and saying, wait a second, you don't only love her for what he does, right? What she does, I should say. You love her for who, what? Who she is. Why should Billy Joel be smarter than us? The old song, right? I love you just the way you are. I was was looking at some of the words to that song. You know, I took the good times. I'll take the bad times. I'll take you just the way you are. Don't go changing to try to please me. Don't change the color of your hair. And, he, and the end of the song is, I love you what? 
just the way you are. Now, you know, I know what you're thinking. He didn't live it, but at least he sang it, right? He didn't live it, but he sang it. Well, I'll pray for old Billy, right? But the same with the Lord. Don't get me wrong. We thank him for what he does. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above. God is a great God that does so many wonderful things for us. But if you take a step back, we praise and worship him for who he is, right? Because from who he is, his actions flow. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. I went back to this chapter and I was amazed what it taught me about God. Revelation 4 gives a great glimpse of who he is. And of course, what he does, because that extends from who he is. I'm going to give you many reasons to praise and worship God this morning from Revelation chapter 4. Let me tell you about the book of Revelation. The writer is John, as you know, and this apostle John faithfully preached at Rome. For that, he was thrown on the barren, rocky island of Patmos. Basically a penal colony, kind of like an ancient Rikers Island. Tough situation for an old man. He should have been enjoying retirement, right? Golfing, wearing his yellow pants and white shoes and all of that. But instead, he's, he's abandoned to this island. Perhaps he's the last standing apostle. But you know what? In tough situations come some of God's greatest blessings, don't they? Think about it. Here he is, an old man, and God gives him the, the revelation. The amazing revelation of the future. Look, look at 1-1 for a second. Revelation 1-1, or just listen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Wouldn't you agree that this is a blessing and a privilege for him? By the way, you're blessed if you read this book. This is a special book. Remember verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written in it, for the time is near. And then the Apostle John is overwhelmed with a vision of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a revelation hose is being shot at him. This guy, I mean, it is amazing. It's all in sense around. He is just being bombarded with revelation after revelation. And here he is. He gets a glimpse of Jesus in his glorified state with Jesus' head and hair white like wool, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, and his face shining like the sun. And John can't do nothing else but fall at his feet like a dead man. He saw the glory of God. It's like being in Vietnam or something like that. A tough day in Vietnam with all that happened to some of those guys. Just overwhelming. And then Jesus gave messages, as you know, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And Jesus displayed his perfect knowledge of their spiritual life. He commended them where they could be commended, and he showed them where they were lacking. Just as an aside, what would your, your spiritual life and my spiritual life look like? What would our spiritual report card look like before the Lord? Something to think about. John is blessed with revelations that no man has ever seen. Remember, he basically was exiled on this island. Chapters 4 and 5 are the introduction and background to the catastrophic judgments that are in the book of Revelation. We get a glimpse of the God of judgment before the judgment. The sights and sounds of heaven. And then details of the future. Go to verse 4 of chapter 4. 
After these things I looked, John says, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place. Isn't that incredible? Could you imagine getting an invitation to go to heaven? And seeing what's in there and up there? This is the third heaven. It's not the sky. It's beyond us. And the Apostle John gets this great privilege as the Apostle Paul did when he was caught up into the third heaven. By the way, we should not want a glimpse of the future unless God gives it. You understand what I'm saying? How many psychics are around? In my neighborhood, there's a pizzeria, and now they invite a psychic lady to be there, and you eat your pizza or whatever, and you listen to the psychics. Terrible. A dear lady in my church wrote a letter to them, and they disregarded it. I remember driving down Middle Country Road toward the mall, and there's a lot of psychics there. I dialed the number up, and I talked to them. They didn't like what I had to say. I told them it wasn't in the Bible what they're doing, you know, and the lady got mad at me and slammed the phone down, but you're not supposed to want to know the future, but if God gives it to you, right, the Apostle John is getting the future, and he's, here he's getting a glimpse of God, and he's, of course, the rest of the book of Revelation is a glimpse of the future. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit and behold, the throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. The Holy Spirit is part of this special experience here. New revelations are being given to him and he's being illuminated by God's spirit. This throne is not mere furniture. First point today, first reason to praise and worship him. He rules and reigns over the universe. He's a sovereign God. All earthly rulers pale in comparison. Isn't that true? They're small. They die. How many presidents have we had? How many are still alive? Two Bushes and a Clinton and Obama, right? Something like that. Not many are left. They die. Humans are weak, but not this ruler. His rule is permanent, permanent, unchanging and complete. He always will live forever and ever. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And I like what Jerry Bridges said. Jerry Bridges said, We're in the hands of a sovereign God who controls every circumstance of our lives and who rejoices in doing us good. I needed to know this this summer. One of my sons was very sick. Lost 15 pounds. He had gotten a concussion. What was scary, you know, a lot of things, you know, you'd rather somebody break a leg. But when somebody is, when their mind is affected, and he might have gotten some infection this summer, I don't know what it was. He had gotten a concussion playing soccer uh, in the past. And I saw my son just change. Frustrated, hitting walls. He's doing great now. God is good. God restored him through prayer. But I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, I needed to know that random chance does not rule the universe, but God does. And when your back is against the wall, you need to know that, too. And it's true. No matter what's happening in your life, he's ruling and reigning and he's guiding your life. If you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, no matter what's happening, you got to go with the truth. And this is the God's honest truth. 
He's, and isn't it interesting that the God who loves us is completely in charge? A lady in my church needed to know that. Her son was laid up for eight years in a semi-coma, Rosetta. Some people here know her. Eight years, her son was laid up in a hospital in a semi-coma. And she went to that hospital on a daily basis and she trusted the Lord for his existence. And I remember doing the funeral. So hard for her, still hard for her and her, her daughter. But her faith is strong. Because she knows this truth. A sovereign God that rules and reigns. Never forget the throne. He's always on the throne. When John Eglin had brain tumor, Marie and others in her family, they needed to know that God was on the throne. Kevin, right? And the family. Sally and such good memories of all of them. That was hard for me. I was a relatively new believer and I saw John Eglin declining. Such a good man like that who went to Stony Brook and picked up students and brought them here. I didn't understand that back then. But God used that man. And God always has a plan. By the way, my son got his highest grades ever. This report card. What a great God. Look at verse 3. And he who was sitting on the throne was like Jasper Stone. What does that mean? Think of it this way. It's like clear crystal reflecting all the colors of the spectrum. Second reason why we praise and worship him, he has a glory that eternally radiates from him. It's a glorious God. It always has radiated from him and never stops. What a power source. Isn't he incredible? Shekinah glory just keeps streaming from him. You know, you get these light bulbs that are going to last for four years. They're pretty good, right? He shines forever. What a God. I got to keep time here. I have, I'm on strict orders for a half an hour. You know that, Larry. He's going to tell you that too. You're on strict orders here. I don't even know when I, I, don't know when I started. That, that's my excuse. I don't know when I started. <laughs> so just tell Mark when he gets back. That, you know, he didn't, Pandolfi didn't know when he started. I didn't know, you know, it would be good. He's a great God. I like what it says. At the end of Timothy, it says he's the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory and everlasting power. Jack LaLanne, pretty incredible man, into his 60s and 70s, still pulling cars and, and, and swimming and pulling boats and all this kind of thing, but he died. But not God. He never grows weary. He never has to sleep. Powerful and glorious for all eternity with with light shining and beaming from him. And then it says in the scripture, he was sardius in appearance and there was a rainbow around his throne like an emerald in appearance. Why red? Perhaps the color of redemption, perhaps to remind us of judgment. The Lord, I mean, all these colors are for a reason and things for us to contemplate. The rainbow, you know what that is. The fact that he's a faithful covenant keeping God, right? What's around the throne? Go to verse 4. I love this part as well. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Who are these beings? And you might say, well, maybe they're angels. Maybe. But there's a problem with that. Angels never sit on thrones. 
Angels don't wear crowns. The term elder tends to be used for men. What about the white garments? Angels are, are white sometimes, but, but also men are, redeemed men are. Revelation 3, 5 says the believers in Sardis were clothed in white garments. Revelation 19, 8, the saints had fine linen, bright and clean. These are redeemed men. This is a representation of the redeemed church. We're going to be up there ruling and reigning with the Lord. Not only do we get saved, but we have a chance, an opportunity to rule and reign with him. If you've got a small job now, you say, well, I always got to work for other people. Your time is coming. You're going to be a big chief up there. Your time is coming. How do, how do I know it's the church? Well, Israel's resurrection and glory is at the end of the tribulation. And by the way, Gary Finn had helped me years ago with a little bit of good dispensationalism, which kind of broke these things up nicely. I can't, I can't help but say that. He was helpful to me in that way. I went to a church upstate that was telling me I had to keep the food laws, so there was some confusion. Imagine that, not eating shrimp, things like that. Some say, well, maybe it's 12 and 12. Maybe it's like 12 church people and 12 Old Testament saints. If that was true, it would have said it. 24 elders representing the redeemed church. This is another proof that the rapture is going to be before the tribulation. It's what some people use, and I think, it's, I think it makes sense. It's a wonderful event that we look forward to. The thing is, we don't know when rapture is, but the moment you die, you're caught up into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. I just did a funeral for a four-month-old. That was tough. But what wasn't tough is that I can say with confidence that I believe that child is in heaven because of what the Scriptures say. The third point today, why we worship and praise Him, is that the Lord, we worship the Lord and praise Him because He saves and exalts man, doesn't He? Saving God. We praise him for redeeming us. What's wonderful about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he paid the price for our sins, right? And he was punished as if he did our sins and he didn't do any sins. Credible. What a transaction. He takes your sin, gives you his righteousness, and then you get the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ. I, I picture it that God is on a big throne and and we're on little tiny chairs like, I don't know. I don't know how it is, but I think it's kind of like that. You ever go to like, a, you know, a nursery school or, or a children's Sunday school and the little tiny chairs are there and the big chairs in the middle and, hey, but we get to be on a throne, right? We get to rule and reign. Even if you're not sitting on a throne, even if those are our representatives, we get to rule and reign with Christ. It says that in Revelation 2.26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. I don't know all that means, but it sounds like it's going to be wonderful. Remember what it says in Ephesians. He made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In some measure, we share in his exalted position now and especially in eternity. And by the way, it says in in Romans 8, 17, that you are a co-heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What he inherits, you inherit. That's the universe, my friends. All the blessings of heaven are yours when you get there. And if you're saved, they're as good as yours right now because you can't lose your salvation, can you, if you really got it? You've got to make sure you got it. But you can't lose it. Because those he calls, 
He justifies, and those He justifies, He glorifies, right? What a beautiful, wonderful future you have because of Him. What's the fourth reason we worship Him? Because He has the power to judge. He's a righteous and just God. Go to verse 5. This verse makes you want to fall to the ground. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. This is a God to be reckoned with. This is not a weak throne. Loud and powerful thunder and lightning come from his throne. I teach at Our Savior Lutheran, where Robert went, where Linda teaches. And I remember being in one of the classes with my ninth and 10th graders, and I said to them, if there was a teacher that told you that if you didn't listen to him, that he'd zap you with lightning, would you listen to him? And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I use these kind of illustrations, I some of the kids, they fool around so much that even if a teacher had a gun, they'd still keep talking. If a teacher said, you talk one more time, I'll shoot you, a lot of them would be dead. <laughs> but you usually don't fool with somebody like this, do you? Somebody showed me some video of a mall cop. Anybody see that one? There was a mall cop in Atlanta, Georgia or something like that, and they were getting a group of people out and saying they had to go out of the mall, and, and a lady started punching him. How many, anybody see this one? I just saw this the other day, and, and, and they're... So people, this lady's punching him, and he zapped her, and she just fell to the ground. My friends, this is not a God to fool around with. Wouldn't you agree? He's ominous. His throne is ominous. Heaven and earth flee away from his throne, right? He's going to judge the living and the dead. He knows all we've done, we haven't done. He knows whether we trust the Christ, whether we haven't trusted Christ. He knows whether we're coming to church hypocritically today and faking it. There's a book that... Pastor Musser and Willoughby recommended we all read together called Dangerous Calling. And basically, it's about the disconnect sometimes that comes between a pastor's personal life and his pulpit life. It's an interesting book. It's scary. How do I know that in Revelation 4, it's representing judgment? Well, Revelation 8.5 says a similar thing as God is starting to dish out his judgments. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of light, lightning. Same thing. And you can find that in other places in Scripture, like Exodus 19, when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're not saved today, please get saved. Don't. Leave a church and sermons and sermon after sermon without trusting Christ as your Savior. The more you know, the more you're accountable and the worse hell you get. I'm an honest guy. You've got to be honest. So if you grow up in a Christian family and you reject God's word and the day of your death comes, you get a worse hell than the guy in Timbuktu that didn't know anything except the sky. Holy Spirit is um, represented as seven spirits. I don't know what that means. It's a number of perfection, 
Perhaps he's a sevenfold spirit. Just these are the things. I mean, heaven is different. I'll show you the difference. In the center and around the throne are what? Some kind of living creatures. Things that we've never seen before. Presumably, these living creatures are made by God to worship him. And at the same time, I think they represent some of God's qualities. Does that make sense? So, if I wanted some things to represent me, I'd have Arnold Schwarzenegger represent my physique. (laughs) Albert Einstein represent my intelligence. No, no, no. Let me stop with that. Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. I mean, that's different, right? How many eyes you have? You know? He made these creatures to give him praise. But listen, they represent his qualities. Why all these eyes? Probably represents the omniscience of God, the fact that he's an all-seeing and all-knowing God, right? Remember Hebrews 4.13? And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's good and bad for us. It's good because he's always watching us. It's bad because he's always watching us. The first creature was like a lion. The majesty of God. It's the king of the forest, right? Second creature was like a calf. I mean, I've read so many things on this. This could represent the fact um, that a calf is an animal that has continuous labor and is patient and perhaps it represents the Lord as a servant, perhaps it even a glimpse, a glimpse of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure. I mean, these, these, are, these are things in heaven that I don't know about so well. The third creature has the face like that of a man. God became a man in Jesus Christ, son of man, right? The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. I guess the king of the birds, majestic, supreme. All of these things suggest God's sovereignty and supremacy. The Lord is majestic, intelligent, supreme, and all the rest. Go to verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is to come. Why they say it all the time. My brothers and sisters and friends, it is so true of him, they can't stop. They can't help themselves. He's so holy. He's so wonderful. They just keep saying it. They just keep praising him. I know sometimes you tell kids, you know, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to be singing all forever. Oh, no. But, you know, when you get there, when you get there in your new body and all of that, you're not going to be able to help yourself. He's going to be so great. He's going to be so great. I like GPSs. My wife, I mean, I, I, you know, I go around the corner and I use it. My wife gets on my case for that. But I love GPSs, and they're right most of the time. But every once in a while, they bring it to a dead end or something like that. This God is perfect. He's never done anything wrong. He can't do wrong. He's perfectly holy, righteous, and pure. Even things that we don't understand. I don't understand why you go to some countries and it's 99% Muslim and they're all going to hell. I don't understand that. But I understand, I do understand that he's a God of love and he sent his own son to bleed and die on a cross that people could be saved. And it's our job to get the gospel out, as New Village has been doing for 200 years, almost 200 years. Keep it up. You're doing a good job. I like when I come here and see the live nativity in the summertime when I see all that jazz that you have out there and you're inviting people to come here and now Christianity Explored. Great stuff. 
great stuff. The legacy of this church has been to get the gospel out. It's always been a missions-minded church. I remember hearing missionaries here all the time. People need to know, but I don't understand. A lot of different things I don't understand, but I do understand that he's a holy and perfect God that has to punish sin. And he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ is the light that enlightens every man who comes into the world. And at the same time, he's one that, that predestinates people and all the rest. I can't put it all together, but I know we've got to get the gospel out. It should pain us to think that so many people don't know the Lord, even in our own region. We worship him, obviously, because he's holy. Verse 9, we're getting there. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before him. That's interesting. It's almost like, you know, even our ability to live the Christian life comes from him. All credit goes to him, right? So it's kind of like, you take the crown, Lord. You, you really did it. I hardly even earned it. You, you did it. I didn't earn it. You did it. And they cast their crowns before him. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why is he worthy? And this is in addition to all the other things. For he created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He was here before time began. I don't understand how somebody's like this. You know, kids always ask these kind of questions. How could it be that he was always here? Who made God? Nobody made God. He always was. That's amazing. And everything that's ever come into an exist existence, he made it. Praise this God. What should we do? I suppose we should be in awe of this God. We need to read the Bible and meditate on it so much that we bow before him and humble ourselves before him and see ourselves in the right light compared to him. It's half our problem, right? And. To, to take from Billy Joel again, we must love him just the way he is. And that, I mean, I'm, I'm serious with that because the more we study and the more we understand just how God is, we're going to be able to worship him better, right? The, the biggest thing that messes us up is a wrong idea of God. So when you're swimming in problems and trials and you say it's hopeless, that's not true. That is not true. We're not going by what the scripture says about him. By the way, your pastor's at a great conference. The biblical counseling conferences are some of the best. Go with them some year or go without them some year. Best conferences for applying scripture. The reason why I bring that up is not only do we need to know this God, but if we really do know him, it's going to lend itself to obedience to him. Isn't that true? If you love me, what did Jesus say? You know it. I'll tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I have so many good memories of New Village. One memory that wasn't so good. There was a leader. Of course, I'm not going to say names, and you don't know what dispensation of this church it was. By the way, I'm glad you don't have the picture of those, all those pastors out front anymore in black and white. That looked weird when you came in, didn't it? <laughs> that looked weird. It looked like they're all ancient pictures and things, and I don't know. Now they're in the library where they should be, and you have a nice welcome center. You know, you guys are doing smart stuff around here. Anyway. It looked weird, didn't it? Anyway. I remember a leader in the church, his wife was downstairs and pulling things out of the cabinets mad. And as a new believer, it was weird to me. I mean, everybody's kind of loving and, you know, of course, no perfection in the church, but that seemed kind of weird. I remember being part of a church in Queens and one of the deacons and his wife were having a big argument on the front stairs to the church. Now, 
I realize that we're usually on our best behavior at home. So I'm thinking, wow, if they're doing that at church, what in the world's happening at home? Must be frying pans hitting heads and stuff. Why do I say that? Work hard in obedience to the Lord. Because it's a testimony. And especially your love for one another here. All men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Work on that. We're doing a funeral today at our church. This is for a guy named George. Some of you knew George. George is a very hard character. In fact, here's how he got to our church. He drank so much that he punched his wife out on a serious note, hurt her so bad that she never came back to him. She's going to be at this funeral today. But what we do and what we tried to do as a church is to come around him in love. One, one of the members of our church played golf with this fellow. Another member housed him. I mean, on and on. I can go down the list. You know, there's a, a wonderful husband-wife couple that had him over for dinner and, and led Bible studies. And even when he was the only one there, that they spent time with him, had a patience with him. And George is the type of guy that would try to teach the Bible study all the time. Intelligent and all this, but he messed up his life in sin. Some of it was redeemed in that he was at least able to be a part of a church for a couple of years. He came to our church during the Thanksgiving outreach dinner and wanted to serve and never left. And I'm glad he didn't. Ornery, hard to work with. But old George, I believe he knew the Lord and I believe he's with him now. And we have the privilege today of you know, doing his funeral. And why do I say all that? If you obey the Lord and you love one another as a church... The Lord is going to use that in a special way. If you become more like this wonderful Lord in all the ways that we can. We can't become like him in every way. We don't come from eternity past. We don't know all things. We can't be everywhere present. But all of his other communicable qualities, we can pick those up. And we can grow in community, in Bible study, in prayer, and keep up what you're doing. This church has a wonderful legacy from what, 1815 or 16? What was it? 18. Think about that. Somebody said, this may be the oldest standing church that still holds the gospel. You're part of something special here. Keep it going. I was at First Baptist of Patchogue the other day, preaching and, and, and doing the same thing I'm doing here. And I, raised, and I asked people to raise their hands. Some of those people were here for, I don't know, at that church for 40, 50 years. A good percent of the church, of the church stuck with the church. As I look out here, a lot of the people have moved to Pennsylvania and down south from this church, right? But you're the new ones. Do what you got to do, all right? Do what you got to do because he's a great God and they need to know the God that's been described from Revelation 4. Amen? Let's pray. Father and God, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to the New Village Church for so many years. And Lord, I thank you for what it did for me. I do thank you for all the saints in the past that are here now. And I thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. And I, and I even... I even pray for Brian, who I just got to know today, Brian uh, Bine. Thank you that he knew my brother back in college, and I pray that you would use Brian and myself even to give the gospel to my brother Matt. Lord, I thank you so much for the relationship and connection with this church and its pastor. I pray for Mark and Joyce that they would have a wonderful time in Indiana, Lord, and be enriched and strengthened. Thank you for this day and your goodness to all of us in Jesus' name.